Welcome to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. This is a special three-part mini-series talking about Christian Zionism and the evangelical cultural artifacts that promote it. We'll be diving into how evangelical theology and end times predictions have impacted U.S. policy in the Middle East and more. Welcome to a special uh, three-part series that we are interrupting our regular podcast season to do. <laughs> I told DL we have two episodes left. Of Rehabbing the Good Place. Yes, but they were like, this is really important. And I agree. Yeah, we got to do I this totally now. Agree. We do podcasting wrong, and I you know, freely admit that. So we are interrupting... Our season of recapping the good place called This is the Bad Place, and we are doing a three-part series on Christian Zionism, and we're going back to our roots where, you know, we go through white evangelical American pop cultural artifacts from the 80s and 90s, and there's a lot of those (laughs) that deal with Christian (laughs) Zionism, and so we're just doing it now. We're doing it now, and hopefully everybody knows why right now is an important time to talk about Christian Zionism. And how it impacts global politics. Um, yeah, I don't know. What yeah. else do you want me to say, Chris? Well, I mean, you tried to talk about some of this in our Christian romance series, yes. but it just didn't really like come together. But now is the time. Yes. Okay. So I've been trying to do a season on these books by Brock and Bodhi Tanny, who they have written dozens and dozens of Christian romances that center around the themes of Zionism. And they're Mm -hmm. very upfront about that. And we're going to dive into those books with a few special guests. So we're not going to spend too much time talking about those. Although, you know, spoiler alert, I think they're very important. There's a few other books we have to get to when it comes to Christian publishing and Zionism. And that's what you and I are going to talk about. We're also going to talk a little bit about our personal experiences with Christian Zionism. So, anything yeah. else we need to say before we dive in? I am along for the ride. You came in here and you were like, there's so much I need to say and tell you about this. <laughs> so, know. that's where we're going. I know. So, I'm just a little worried <laughs> about <laughs> everything that's going to come out. Um, but, you know, as we're recording this, right, this is actually, hey, Happy New Year. It's 2024. It's January 1st. That's when we're recording this. Obviously, um, Israel is in the midst of this brutal conflict against the Palestinian people. Um, and we're watching them be eradicated. And this is something that has been a part of Christian theology for a really long time, which is why I think it's so important to talk about today. But uh, just, you know, as we're here, uh, the beginning of 2024, I just want to say like at this point in Gaza, Right, there have been at almost twenty-two thousand people killed. Almost nine thousand of those people are children. There's seven thousand people still missing, presumed dead, and almost sixty thousand people have been injured in Gaza. Not only that, but like the entire infrastructure of that part of Palestine has has now been just decimated, destroyed. So that's kind of like important to talk about what's happening right now because all of this has been sort of foretold by Christian Zionists and this has always been their end goal. And I think that's a really sobering fact that we need to keep in mind as we talk about some of these pop cultural artifacts and milestones that people might have heard of before. I just want to couch it in this like pretty devastating reality. Mm -hmm. So there we go. 
Yeah. Which is why we're talking about it now, That's... why we are interrupting our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah. Um, it's just super important. Okay, so. Crispin. What do you know about Christian Zionism or were you raised with Zionism? Or can you um, tell us what Zionism is? I just want to put I, you on the spot. I know. I don't. I know a little bit about it. I know sort of this idea of um, that uh, something about Israel and the end times and Israel returning to their land. And um, so it's just sort of in the water. You know, I feel like it's sort of part of the Left Behind series. I remember something about 144,000. You know, I wasn't quite clear on what that was, but I knew that there was a lot of, in my mind, it was sort of lore. Because, I know that sounds weird, okay. uh, but because I actually was in communities where some people took it very seriously and they were like, this is the third awakening, which means this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And then I also had people in my life that were like, this is just weird old theology that someone came up with 200 years ago that isn't really true. Okay. And so I did have a little bit of distance from it because of that. Okay. That makes sense. So it was just sort of in the water. You don't have like a lot of awareness Right. Okay. Uh So I was raised by a Christian Zionist mom and she was super into it, super into the end times. Um, She had a lot of issues going on. My dad was an evangelical pastor. Both of them were really into, well, maybe not my dad so much, but he was sort of in like that Jesus movement in the, you know, Mm -hmm. 1970s in California, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. And the Jesus movement was really into this book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, which was published in 1970. My mom was super into that. Okay. I did not know that was a Jesus people connection. Well, they sort of adopted it. Jesus movement. Yes. They sort of adopted Uh it. Okay. So Hal Lindsey is kind of the person who popularized the idea that the end times is coming soon, right? And so mm-hmm. 1970 said that. But before we get to all that, we have to kind of back up <laughs> and we have to talk about somebody named John Nelson Darby. And he is basically the father of what they call dispensationalism. Which dispensationalism, I do remember that from Bible college yes. being talked about often. Okay, that is also what I remember. So Chrisman and I met at a Bible college here in Portland, Oregon called Multnomah Bible College. And I remember being taught a lot about dispensationalism. And in fact, I sent you a document if you want to look at it, Crispin. I can open it now. Do any of these images about dispensationalism look familiar in any way, shape, or form to you? Oh, you might want to scroll down a little bit. Uh-huh. I like that you made a little document. Look at that. Document. That's the one I remember, the seven dispensations oh, yeah. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the top one also looks fairly familiar, but yes, right? definitely. Okay, so Crispin, what do you remember about dispensationalism as taught at our podunk little Bible college? Basically, part of it was that um, Israel... The way that it was described to me, uh-huh. Israel really screwed up, oh. and they uh, forsook the blessing of God mm-hmm. to be the chosen people, mm-hmm. and therefore it was bestowed on the church. I like that I fit so many religious <laughs> words I know. I into like, that. Have a tally, <laughs> right? But I remember being like, "That is really messed up." That God is like. I I offer these assurances over and over in throughout uh-huh. the Hebrew Bible that you know I will never forsake you, and then it's like, J- 
Just kidding. You screwed up so bad that I am, you know, giving this to the church now. Yeah, I mean, trigger warning. The Christian church galore is uh, dispensationalism at its core is so deeply anti-Semitic. I don't think we've even wrapped our heads around it. But that's what I want to talk about today. Okay, uh-huh. uh, because modern day Christian Zionists believe that they are very pro. The Jewish people, or at least right now, they're they're the ones that are supposedly very upset about anti-Semitism like happening on college campuses. Mm-hmm. But really, they're upset about people being pro-Palestine. So, because at their core, Christian Zionists believe that all Jewish people who do not convert to Christianity will be the ones to um, experience all of God's wrath for. Right. You, you slow know that. What I'm slow that down for a minute. Oh, I will go back to that. Don't okay. worry. I'm just I'm just previewing. Okay. Oh, okay. So. Darby was this guy, and he's sort of interesting. Like, he became a curate in Ireland, and he helped convert some, like, Roman Catholic peasants to the Church of England. But then, like, the head bishop guy was like, well, all these converts have to now say that they'll follow the king of England. And Darby was like, well, that sucks. Like, why do they have to do that? They're Irish. And so he left. And like when he was 26 years old, he fell off his horse and had this like horrible accident and he hit his head and I think he broke his leg. And then that's when he started getting all these revelations from God. So he had a traumatic brain injury. He had a traumatic brain injury and sat down and read the Bible, uh-huh. you know, specifically yes. uh-huh. the books of prophecy. And he was like, oh, God's telling me all this stuff. So God told him a lot of stuff. So all this dispensationalism, mm-hmm. which is like, so common in evangelical circles uh-huh. came from this guy yeah. that fall off his horse yep. and read the Bible. Right. And actually there's a bit of controversy around like, where did he get this idea of Christians being raptured out before the tribulation? Cause so that's kind of what makes mm-hmm. him different. Mm-hmm. So up until John Darby, right. Everybody's like Christians will be raptured at the exact same time that Jesus comes back for a second coming, right? And then, of course, there's all this stuff about the tribulation and the end times and the last apocalyptic battle. But it's unclear, like, where did this idea come that the Christians are going to be taken up out of the world and then it's going to be, <laughs> this going to sound so bad, it's going to be the Jewish people who are left in Israel to kind of, like, receive the tribulations of the end times and, and die. So that's actually where the word tribulation comes from because I heard that, Growing up, the tribulation is like the great suffering and all of that. And that's about it being on the Jewish people. Mm, okay. I did not know isn't that. that. Isn't that upsetting? Yes. So, um, actually, <laughs> here's another weird aside. I found some great articles kind of unpacking the anti-Semitism in John Darby's beliefs and what has happened in Christian publishing, you know, in the last hundred years, especially around these ideas by this guy, Hank Hennegraff. Is that how you say okay. his name? Sure. He's, he, was, he was known as the Bible Answer Man, mm-hmm. which I didn't grow up with him, but I think a lot of evangelicals did. Well, he actually left evangelicalism, converted to uh, Eastern, Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy. Which I just know because you told me. And But he actually has some great articles that we'll link in our show notes. And he basically is like, Darby's whole consensus, his whole, what dispensationalism can be kind of boiled down to because there's seven different dispensations and and Christians make it really complicated, but this is actually what he said. He said, God has had two distinct peoples with two distinct plans and two distinct destinies. Only one of those peoples, the Jews, would suffer tribulation. The other, the church, would be removed from the world in secret 
coming seven years prior to the second coming of Christ. So that's just the baseline okay. of how you can say this is what dispensationalism is. There's mm. two groups of chosen people okay. by the only one true God. Mm-hmm. One of them is not going to be around for the apocalypse and will be privileged and prioritized and saved for all eternity. Uh, the other is not. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, what do you think of this, Crispin? Uh, is that what you got at our Bible college? Is that what they said dispensationalism was? No. No! Mm-mm. No! They, it, well, it really was just like a... It, it. I would say it just didn't focus on the Jewish people at all. It just was sort of, in a sense, sort of like, oh, well, the Jewish people, like, we're carrying on their legacy. Yeah. yeah. Without recognizing that, that the Jewish people continued to exist. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is for us being like 18, 19 year olds at a Bible college that actually comes from a very long line of dispensationalist thinking. Mm-hmm. Because if you want to tell the folks listening, Crispin, what were all the theology books we were required to read? Where did they all come from? Dallas Theological Seminary. And Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas, is basically the premier dispensationalist Uh, uh group. And so John Darby, the reason all this got popular is because, um, well, okay, I got to go back. It might not just be him falling off of his horse and bonking his head because four years later, he went to this sort of um, like Bible conference and he heard this guy speak and the guy was talking about this teenager named Margaret McDonald who went into a two-hour trance at one of his revival meetings because he was like, One of the signs, well, the second great awakening was happening and they were like, this is one of the signs that the end times is going to happen is all the gifts of the spirit are going to come back. And so all these people started speaking in tongues and offering prophetic utterances. Well, this teenager went into this two hour trance and she was like, all these end times things are happening, you know, all the things we've heard in prophecies. Uh But she was like, but God's going to rapture his church. Like Jesus is going to rapture his church before the tribulation actually happens. And so either John Darby had this idea when he fell off his horse or he heard it four years later from a teenager and was like, I like that. Mm-hmm. And then he started like incorporating that. So either way. Right. And basically then he like I, I what I found when you were giving me a little rundown of this beforehand, what I thought was so interesting is then he publishes books. Uh huh. And it just takes off. Right. It just takes one person to hear one teenager. <laughs> Or one story of a teenager, and then they publish a book. Yeah. And so basically how it got popular in America was in the early, like, 1900s, his work and his sort of understanding of the book of Revelation and his idea of these dispensations of God, you know, with the obviously prioritizing Christians way above Jewish people, all of that was put into, like, the Schofield Study Bible, which became a very, very popular Bible in the United States in the early 1900s. And so that's kind of how it just sort of disseminated throughout the culture. Now, when looking at the history, the next big thing that happens is not only were all these like fundamentalist Christians reading these these study Bibles with Darby's dispensationalist beliefs, then in 1970 is when we get back to the late great planet Earth. Uh. Okay, so how Lindsay was this like Southern California guy, a campus crusade for Christ guy. Um, And he was really impacted by basically, you know, the creation of the nation state of Israel. 
1948, which anybody who loves dispensationalism, who loves Darby, who was a fundamentalist, was so into the creation of the nation state of Israel because they they believed that that legitimized all their beliefs, right? Uh-huh. They were like, this proves Darby was right. This proves everything because a part of these beliefs are... <laughs> It's so hard to say this because it's hard. It's just hard, okay? So this is what dispensationalism believes. Um, Again, this is Hank Hanegraaff kind of like summing it up. Okay. So it's like he's saying like in the 21st century, Christian beliefs had changed, right? And and now it says that... uh, In the 20th or 21st? In the 21st. So like in this this, well, the century we were born in, right? Yes. Doing part two of the late Great Planet Earth and the Left Behind novels, right? Mm-hmm. People are convinced that Jesus will come back secretly and silently to rapture his church. Not long after the church's glorious rapture, however, a multitude of Jews who have been systematically herded back into Palestine will be slaughtered in a bloodbath vastly exceeding the horrors of the Holocaust. So, I think what we heard at our Bible college is like, a lot of people believe the creation of Israel in 1948, right? Just like, okay, Jewish people from around the world are coming back to the Holy Land. They are going to take over the land. They are going to make Jerusalem the place. And like basically all Jewish people in the world will find their way back there. What we weren't told as explicitly in our Bible college is like, and then Christians will be raptured the heck out of the world, Mm -hmm. which is getting worse and worse and more and more bloody and more and more violent. And the Jewish people who are all congregated in Israel like the vast majority of them will be killed in this epic bloody battle, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe 144,000 of them will convert to Christianity and then be saved uh, for eternity. But that's like a, saved for eternity, for not eternity. from not from the bloodbath, right? Okay. And you you said sorry if I'm getting ahead, but you said that there were people even sort of calculating about like how much blood. Oh would my god! Be needed. You don't want to go down the rabbit hole of Christians. Christian Zionists who are into this theology because they, yeah, they go into the book of Revelation and then they calculate, like, it talks about these rivers of blood throw, you know, flowing through the lands of Israel. And they're like, and this means this is how many Jewish and Arab people will die and their blood will be running. And Christians are super into this because they're like, well, it's not me. It's not right. going to happen to me. <laughs> you know, God's coming for me before all this happens. So I think it's just such a sobering and such a disturbing and such a violent view of the world that, you know, the way I characterize it is like people like my mom and Hal Lindsey and John Darby, they've basically been dreaming of genocide in front of all of us over and over and over again, right? Without Mm -hmm. being called out for it. And so that's kind of what I want to do here. Again, I just think it's wild that people like Hal Lindsey had no problem with saying, yeah, what's coming for Jewish people is going to be way worse than the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is from God. It's not us, you know, just uh-huh. God. Like, you know, I don't right. know. It's not my deal. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know if you want me to kind of go into all of like the anti-Semitism of dispensationalism yes. at this point. So people who liked this kind of thing, which again was just sort of the bread and butter of conservative Christianity in the United States and in England, Right. People who like dispensationalism, they tend to like other really anti-Semitic texts like, um, oh no, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which I'm not going to get into, which is like this horrific conspiracy theory that 
you know, mm-hmm. still proliferates on the internet today, right? But places like Moody Bible Institute, Dallas Theological Seminary, they loved that book. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they mm-hmm. praised it, all this stuff. Um, <laughs> I can't, I can't like, I don't want to say all of this stuff, okay? But I just want to make it clear that dispensational Christians, evangelical Christians, they basically view Jewish people not just as pawns in God's like great genocidal plan, but they view them as people like inherently deserving of God's wrath and of total annihilation. And to be clear, they think that about like Palestinians and Arabs as well. Mm -hmm. There's no winners in the modern Christian Zionist mind except them. Is that because, maybe you don't know this, but Mm -hmm. is it because they, in their mind, Jewish people rejected God and rejected Jesus? Yeah. Okay. Totally. And so there's this element of like, it's worse than like someone who would never like come into contact with Yahweh. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get back to um, the late great planet Earth. How Lindsay wrote this book, partly because of the creation of the state of Israel, plus this huge, this war that had happened in 1967. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, it's all happening, guys. It's all happening. Um, here's something he said about, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm not laughing. I'm just like so horrified, okay? But how Lindsay told people, other Christians, like not long after their glorious rapture, a numberless multitude of Jews would be slaughtered in a bloodbath that would exceed the horrors of the Holocaust. And he went on to predict that the brutality of the beast, you know, the Antichrist, Mm -hmm. would make the Nazi butchers look like Girl Scouts weaving a daisy chain. Oh my It's not him saying that. It's not him wishing that. Mm -hmm. It's just God. Mm -hmm. It's just God. Okay. So how Lindsay, this is like where he's coming from with his book, um, the late great planet Earth was supposed to be him just like unpacking biblical prophecy and being like, hey, guys, it's going to happen in five years. Okay. Basically, the uh-huh. end of the world is coming like in five years, right? It was really popular. So then it got picked up by a non-Christian publisher and they started selling it in the science fiction section of bookstores. <laughs> and it became like a bestseller, like a New York Times bestseller because Everybody in the 70s is like, what's going on? And like, uh-huh. things are getting wild. And so conservative Christians loved it. Like hippy dippy Christians loved it. Like people mm. who were just interested in the new age and tarot and all these things were interested in it. Mm-hmm. And the New York Times ended up calling it the book of the 1970s. Like the best-selling book of that entire decade. I did not know that. I thought it was like niche. No. Like, yeah, Christians that... So if you have a boomer in your life, <laughs> I mean, there's a good chance they read this book, right? Mm-hmm. My mom was into it. And that, I believe, shaped sort of the trajectory of her life and therefore mine. Mm. Because she ended up homeschooling me and my two sisters because of fears of the liberals and uh-huh. because the world was ending anyway. She needed to make sure we were Christians. And she just was obsessed with the end of the world happening, which is funny. Mm. Since The Late Great Planet Earth was published in 1970... Mm-hmm. Did the world end in five years? No, I was going to ask what happened I after was born five 14 years. Fourteen years later. But the thing about these Christians, <laughs> something always comes up, and they're like, "I wasn't wrong. I just didn't have all the information." And so now, really, the countdown is happening Re- to so the end like of the world. Recalculating, okay? recalculating, recalculating. Okay, and actually, there's websites still up to this day. I remember when the internet first came into my home. My mom was on all these sites, and there's these sites called Rapture Ready. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to Google right now. RaptureReady.com. How close do we think we are to the end times? I want you to guess before I click on it. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, currently. Yeah. 
I want to say within a year. Is within that a year? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you. Sometimes these people are slippery. You know, they're like, I can't say. Mm-hmm. <gasps> We're two minutes away. Two minutes. The away? hour is twenty three fifty eight. At twenty four hundred, the world is ending. I don't know what that means, but that's what it says. We're nearing midnight. Yes. We're nearing midnight. I'm, that's a non-moving image. I bet it's always two minutes yes, to midnight. I do. You know what I mean? Yes. Wow. That's I'm sure it was two minutes to midnight in the early 19, <laughs> 1990s when my mom was really obsessed with that. You know, this is going to happen. It definitely was two minutes to midnight um, in 1999 at the end of the night. Well, speaking of 1999 and Y2K, which again, my mom was a huge believer in and it turned, you know, mm-hmm, right. maybe I shouldn't trust her. I'm starting to wonder uh, um, about that. I just think God wouldn't be that obvious. <laughs> but what's you funny? Think. What's funny is humans do like to think about things like the end of a millennia, and so even in the 1970s, they were like, "What's going to happen in 2000?" Mm. And they were pretty pessimistic. That's the other thing. John Darby Nelson was very pessimistic, and that all fits into this, right? Everybody uh-huh. thinks the world's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Christians will be raptured out, huge bloodbath, it all ends, okay? Mm-hmm. So, back to 1999. By 1999, 35 million copies of the late great planet Earth have been sold. Whoa. So, it continues to sell. It continued to sell, okay, all the time. Uh-huh. Here's something. Publishers Weekly okay. did this, like, to my mind, sort of scathing, like, write-up about Hal Lindsey, right? Uh-huh. In 1977. So they said, Hal Lindsey is an Advent and Apocalypse evangelist who sports a Porsche racing jacket and tools around Los, An- Los Angeles and a Mercedes 450 SI. And even though his best-selling books of Bible prophecy warn that the end is near, Lindsey maintains a suite of offices and a posh Santa Monica high-rise for the personal management firm that sinks his royalties into long-term real estate investments. <gasps> so the guy- He's a grifter. He's just a grifter. He sunk all of his royalties into long-term real estate investments. Hey, I mean, I, I, he's just covering all his bases. He's like, either I get raptured or I retire. I love it. I love that this is the person who scared my mom shitless and um, mm-hmm. scared a lot of other people shitless, right? And I oh think that's gosh. just kind of what the point was in a way because mm-hmm. when you're scared, you're a lot easier to control. Mm-hmm. When you're scared, you you know work hard to maintain what you think will keep you safe. And, and anyway, so there's all that. I mean, what I'm really wondering is, and I don't think you have the answer to this, but how much is this still active? And then the other part is, like, how much is this floating in the water? Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, this was so popular in the 70s. Um, I feel like the left behind craze has sort of passed. Passed? I, I, that's, that's my vibe, but, like, maybe I'm just not in those circles. Like, so, listeners, please let us know. Mm-hmm. Where are things? What are you hearing from your boomer parents? Like, how deep is this? Well, but I also want to say, like, I am sure that it is still in the water of evangelicalism. Yeah, I think, like, if I asked my mom about the late great planet Earth, she'd be like, oh, it's just about prophecies about the end of the world. She wouldn't say, oh, it's about all the Jewish people are going to die a bloody death while mm-hmm. the Christians get the blessings of God. You know, but right. that's totally a part of it. And what's also weird is about evangelical Christians, white evangelical Christians, there's like this huge 
also movement of like appropriating Jewish culture. I don't know mm. if you went to like a Passover Seder ever. I did not, but I, I know about this. I went to multiple ones. I learned uh-huh. how to dance. Um <laughs> And it's just kind of even more disturbing to think about how, you know, Christians, even in our church services, especially like Pentecostal ones who believe in end time stuff, like they use the chauffeur horns, like they take all these elements of Jewish culture while believing in their core that Jewish people are destined to die, like horrific, violent deaths um, in the state of Israel. Okay. (laughs) So like, that's another important thing. Like all Jewish people should eventually move back to Israel where they will, the majority of them will be killed. Right. So it's not about the establishment and protection of a place where Jewish people are safe. No. You were so upset. You just, I just, this is what I like about our new setup. I just saw you hit your your glasses on the microphone. I just saw, it's so upsetting. Uh Uh-huh. And so when I think about, for, for, for one thing, right? Jewish people are not a monolith. American Christians, I guess, are not a monolith. But at the same time, there are elements of like Western white-centric Christianity where this theology truly is baked into it, okay? Mm -hmm. So like not all Jewish people are Zionists, okay? Not all Christians are Zionists. But if you don't take the time to actually think through like what you know, what is this all about? Mm -hmm. I think you're probably going to just sort of be on the Zionist side of things. Mm -hmm. And it's important to say for Christian Zionists, I'm not talking about Jewish Zionists here. For Christian Zionists, it is at its core, a genocidal belief. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only masquerading as the opposite in a sense. (sighs) And they, they, it's truly about this will usher in the end times. And so when I Mm. think about like, people who are in some of our highest forms of governance, right, who are evangelical Christians, who are pro-supporting Israel at whatever cost, like, they think this is ushering in the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And those are the people in charge of our government, and they think the end is coming soon, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just think maybe those people shouldn't be um, the ones leading us all. Okay, are we ready to talk about Left Behind? Yes. I always said I was never going to talk about Left Behind on this podcast. Right. Do you want to explain why? You explain why. Because you had childhood religious trauma mm-hmm. around the end times. Yeah, I don't really like talking about it. Right. Because it was so impactful it to me. It is really sad and tragic. But, but I will just throw that out there. Okay, I'm going to sum it up. Okay, okay, so my mom was obsessed with the end times. My mom probably was a very depressed person. Um, so she told me, right, that I... that. Antichrist was going to come before I was 16 and that she took me out of these prophetic conferences. Everybody always prophesied I would die a martyr before 16. I believed it. I was undiagnosed autistic. The only people in my life were charismatic Christians who believed in this stuff. They were all very excited about Jesus coming back. I mean, imagine, imagine this. This is like you being a middle schooler. Or younger. Sometimes or younger. younger. Right. Because it kind of started when I was eight. Wow. This obsession. And so my two sisters were sort of like, I don't think this is real. I think our mom's kind of crazy. And I, I was not like that. I was like, mom, mom says God talks to her. And I believe her. I had to believe her. She was my caregiver. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I had no sense of my future. I had no sense. And this continued on, right? Cause I was a junior in high school when, when Y2K happened and my mom believed that. And so I didn't apply to any colleges. I didn't get my driver's license. Um, and so I was living in this panic state of the end right. times. Well, the adults around me were like, yay, I don't want to be alive anymore. So I'm so excited. The end is coming. Um, mm-hmm. I was not like that. So it was basically 
I don't know. I don't know what a similar experience would be for people. Like, you know, there's, there's that thing when parents get really into like their kid having an illness mm-hmm. so that they get like, mm-hmm. a t- like, that's true. maybe yeah. that's sort of similar to how I was raised. But my mom, you know, was sort of into the Left Behind books, although this all came kind of later. Like, uh-huh. I'd already lived through all this in my mind for years and years and years at this point. But I did read the Left Behind books for kids, okay. which is disturbing mm. that they, they made these into books for kids. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, people in my world were like, yeah, this is all true. Like, this is mm-hmm. all true. This is not just fiction. This is like real theology. What was your sense of the Left Behind books? Uh, I remember being like, oh, this is true. This is good. Actually, I remember being really terrified. Okay. Um, really scared that I was going to get left behind. Mm-hmm. And then also having people in my life, they're like, well, that's not really true theology. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of connection to reality, if we want to call that, mm-hmm. call it that. So, yeah. And I think, again, what people kind of miss out on because, right, Nicolas Cage was in. Right, like the, I forgot the main, about that. the main left behind. Um, so it became, I thought it was just Kurt Cameron. No, there was a Nicolas Cage version, Chad Michael Murray. <laughs> oh my god! So this was like extremely popular. It's like I don't even know how many millions of copies these books sold. They sold a lot. Okay, do you want to know what Tim LaHaye, uh, <laughs> who was a therapist, Tim LaHaye was a marriage what therapist. Tim LaHaye think about Jewish people. Do I want to And know? what do they say happens to Jewish people at the end of that 14 book series or however many books it is? Do you want to know? Yeah. Okay. Yes and no. Tim LaHaye, doctor, mm-hmm. psychologist, Tim LaHaye uses biblical monikers such as the day of Israel's calamity to codify what he eerily described as the Antichrist's final solution to the Jewish problem. He used those words. Yes. Like Lindsay, he, how Lindsay? He is convinced that this time of national suffering for Jews will be far worse than the Spanish Inquisition of the 16th century or even the Holocaust of Adolf Hitler in the 20th century. Okay. According to LaHaye, the time of Jewish tribulation will be a nightmarish reality beyond imagination. Take the horror of every war since time began, throw in every natural disaster in recorded history, and cast off all restraints so that the unspeakable cruelty and hatred and injustice of man toward his fellow man can fully mature and compress all that into a period of seven years. Even if you could imagine such a horror, it wouldn't approach the mind-boggling terror and turmoil of the tribulation. Wow. That's bad. Uh-huh. Again, in his views, like Christians out. Right. And it and will be the yes, Jewish people who right. receive the brunt of it. And this is the this is the ideology that is running this fourteen book series <laughs> that is selling millions of copies. Yeah, yeah, and worldwide. It, and then there's also some horrid stuff in there about like um, if Jewish people want to, you know, get out of some of this suffering or be in the millennia, right? They have to become Christians, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> There's here's a here's something in the in one of the books, one of the Left Behind books called Armageddon, the Cosmic Battle for the Ages. Okay, one person, a, a person is talking to a Jewish person in the book. It says, When Jewish people such as yourself come to see that Jesus is your long sought Messiah, you are not converting from one religion to another, no matter what anyone tells you. Okay, you have found your Messiah. That is all. So this is not about converting Jewish people. It's like <laughs> you're just doing what you were supposed to do. All along. Mm. And this is how Christians view themselves. And this mm-hmm. is how Christians view Jewish people as a whole if they come from these backgrounds right. of dispensationalism mm-hmm. and end times apocalyptic theology. Oh my God. So what does that mean for today, Chrisman? What 
does that mean for today? Well, uh, what is your sense of what uh, white evangelicals in particular think about the conflict happening in between Israel and Palestine right now? I say conflict. Mm-hmm. That's not how I view it. Right. Yeah. Okay. We know. Okay. I mean, yeah. When I say we know, I'm like, yeah, we like it, it is so clear to so many people that this is a genocide. Yes. And um, I. So I'm, how does this fit into white evangelicals? Right. Well, it, it's not about the experience of these particular people. It's about these cosmic political events, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Yeah. And so actually, like, the the disputes over the land in Palestine are extremely important to Christian Zionists. Now, I've been quoting a lot from Hank Hanegraaff. And again, I really recommend his kind of writings about this. And there's a bunch of, like, sort of old white dudes who have been writing and saying this stuff is bad. Christian Zionism is like bad for everybody and it's not biblical. It comes from John Darby and all these people Mm -hmm. that are sort of extra biblical ideas. And so there's this really interesting article that was published in 2007 um, by this guy named Charles Veenstra. And he's, you know, he's a conservative Christian, but he Mm kind of goes through how things like the Left Behind novels really have popularized this idea of Christian Zionism for so many people in America and how that impacts our politics. Mm. Um, so I just want to say, here are the five like core tenets of Christian Zionism that he writes about. And this comes from a guy named Gary Burge. Okay, one is about the covenant, right? God does have this covenant with Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the church, God has always like had a plan of redemption for Israel, Yet, when Israel failed to follow Jesus, the church was born as an afterthought, or parentheses, okay? Mm -hmm. So, we're the new chosen people. It wasn't supposed to be like that, but it's kind of Mm -hmm. the Jewish people's fault, okay? Number three is the blessing of modern Israel. And so, this is what Christian Zionists believe. We must take Genesis 12.3 literally and apply it to modern Israel. I'm going to say Genesis 12.3. You tell me if you heard this growing up. Okay. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Uh-huh. Did you grow up hearing that? Yes. Oh uh-huh. my God, all the time. Uh-huh. So that's the that's the like one of the main backbones of Christian Zionism. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. We the church need to uphold that so we will be blessed by God. So we mm. take that to mean America and we take mm-hmm. that to mean the state of Israel. Okay. Mm. And we mm-hmm. curse those who curse you, which means we are enemies with those who are your political enemies. And especially Arab nations, okay? Uh-huh. Uh so it, to fail to bless Israel will result in divine judgment. And by mm. that, they mean the nation state of Israel. Okay? Mm-hmm. The, okay. And then the fourth tenet is prophecy. The prophetic books of the Bible are describing events of today and not just events of history. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then modern Israel and eschatology, the modern state of Israel is a catalyst for the prophetic countdown. If these are the last days, then we should expect an unraveling of civilization, the rise of evil, the loss of international peace and equilibrium, a coming antichrist and tests of faithfulness to Israel. Above all, political alignments today will will determine our position on the fateful day of Armageddon. Okay, since the crisis of 9/11 and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, it has been easy to persuade the public that history is unraveling precisely as dispensationalism predicted. Now, obviously, we've seen a huge uptick of that mm-hmm. in the Trump years because I don't know if you remember, Christian Zionists were super into getting, uh, like the embassy move oh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, right. so that mm-hmm. happened. But now, obviously, mm-hmm. this war. 
that Israel's waging on Gaza and like even sort of the international response to it, Christians in America are viewing this. This is all like, this proves everything to them, uh-huh. right? These are the last days. So if you have someone in your life who maybe read the late great planet earth or left behind, they might be truly thinking we are in the last days mm-hmm. right now. Okay. The sad thing is, <laughs> and the thing I feel like we just have to camp out over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And this is what this guy, uh, Charles Veenstra says. He says, most Zionists, and by that he means Christian Zionists, are more concerned with Israel claiming the land than they are that Jews become converted to Christ. Mm. Okay? So some people will be like, well, we care about Israel, we care about Jewish people, and we care that, you know, the original chosen people become grafted back into it. But if you actually look at the theology and you look at how that plays out politically— well, it, it doesn't just, matter. People do not care about Jesus, about Jewish people converting to Christianity being saved. All they care about is that Jewish people claim Israel and do not give up a, a square inch of it to anybody else. Because if there's a two-state solution in Palestine that undermines all of dispensationalism, mm-hmm. all of end times theology. Wow. And so... Christian Zionists have been the most intense people to be against like a two a two state solution. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, I mean, I can't go into all the history of how at every turn they have tried to say, like, no, we cannot support this. And it's people like Gary Bauer, John Hadji, is that how you say it? Not sure. Okay. Um, Jerry Falwell, you know, right. all these people, right? Mm-hmm. So course. Well, and it just, it fits too with hell and heaven theology of like, Mm -hmm. Christians are very accustomed to being like, yeah, there are huge groups of people that are going to suffer and that's just the way it is because that's the way God works. Yeah. And so, I don't know, just as you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, this, it just all makes sense. Like, it just fits with the philosophy. Okay. So, Gary Bauer in, in 2003 said at this like big conference. He said, we believe God owns the land and he has deeded it to the Jewish people, a deed that cannot be canceled today and cannot be amended. This God has spoken clearly. Um, then he says, I will bless those who bless you. Okay. Mm. Uh, and again, in 2003, a group of 24 prominent Christian Zionists sent a letter to the president. And this is what it said, Mr. President, it would be morally reprehensible for the United States to be even-handed between democratic Israel, a reliable friend and ally that shares our values and the terrorist infested Palestinian infrastructure that refuses to accept the right of Israel to exist at all. Okay. Uh, Pat Robertson Mm -hmm. called the establishment of a Palestinian state Satan's plan. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And Roberts went on to praise Israel saying the Zionist state was a part of God's plan for the end of time and a precedent to the second advent of Jesus Christ. Okay. So all these. Okay. What is wild (laughs) before you go more, uh go further is this. I mean, it obviously sounds like religious conspiracy stuff, right? So what's so distressing is that mm-hmm. this has played such a large hand in U.S. international policy. Yes. And so all these people, so like people like Pat Robinson, right? He had his show on the 700 Club. Um, mm-hmm. All these groups started really organizing in the past several decades, right? They're well-funded, well-organized. There's tens of millions of people who identify as Christian Zionists in the United States, more so than there are like Jewish people, right, in America, And the primary aims of these groups was like lobbying the American government to support Israel, 
and providing financial support for, I'm quoting here, for the settlers in the occupied territories in the West Bank and including money to pay for Jews to immigrate to Israel. Okay, and this is in 2007. This guy writing this said, a cursory examination of websites revealed that many sample letters to government officials as well as appeals for funds for settlers. They also sponsor many trips to Israel. Okay. Woo! I just think like thinking about all the different layers of this, like not only are Christian Zionists advocating for the U.S. to fund Israel, but they want them to fund like having Jewish people move back to Israel. They have resisted the two-state solution. If you're wondering like, mm-hmm. why is it so complicated in the Middle East? Why is there no two-state solution? Well, I have the answer for you. It's Christian Zionists. Mm-hmm. It's American Christian Zionists who believe that the end times is eminent. Like, this is really what is happening. So wild. And I think what I feel the saddest for is for Jewish people who ha- who want to be safe, right, mm-hmm. um, have taken on as their allies Christian Zionists without fully understanding, like, the genocidal aims and beliefs that they have, mm-hmm. right? They do not want all Jewish people to relocate to Israel to be safe. Right. They do not believe that will ever happen. They think things will get worse and worse and worse until Christians finally are raptured. And then the Jewish people are going to be left surrounded mm-hmm. and be killed. Which is why you you brought something up as we were talking about this that I found really important to point out, which is as we're looking at this conflict, we're looking at casualties, we're looking at human lives, we're looking at all these equations and they're like, yeah, it's the end times. Of course people are going to die. Exactly. So many people are going to die. It doesn't matter. This has been foretold. It doesn't matter who dies. It mm-hmm. matters that the the state of Israel keeps its borders so that Jesus can come back, which is such a different yeah. way of computing what makes a war or military action good or not. Yeah. And so as a kid raised with this theology, I can just say the God of white evangelicals is a genocidal monster. And... Uh, I reject it fully. It ruined my mom's life and mental health. It <laughs> ruined my life in a lot of ways. It's literally ruining people's lives right this second. And I don't think we can talk about this enough. And so <laughs> the next two episodes, we're going to be talking about these specific Christian romance novels that try to popularize this kind of thinking for white women, mm-hmm. right? Who read who read books in the United States and... Um, I don't know, get them to identify with this theology in a new way. So I don't know, Chris, my tummy hurts just after talking about all this. Um, but if you were ra- raised white evangelical like us, this mm-hmm. kind of theology and this kind of view of the world is is in there. And mm-hmm. it's time to sort of take a, a good hard look at what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful to the Christians who have been calling out Christian Zionism. And, you know, they use arguments like it's not actually biblical and it's not mm-hmm. I, I just that's not my vibe anymore it's <laughs> right. there's some of this shit in the bible does that right. make sense yeah. like there are it's parts true. of the new testament that seem very anti-semitic to me right. like yes well i mean that is i'm just gonna throw this in here because there's still a little bit of bible theology nerd in me but the uh-huh. the new perspective on paul folks yeah this is their thing is like we we can't Basically, I think it is anti-dispensationalist. Basically, yeah. they're saying like the idea that uh, that God's covenant with Israel and all of God's promises are nil does not make sense. So yeah. we need to somehow make sense of Christianity in a way that also honors 
the experience of the Jewish people with Yahweh, which I think is is great. Yeah. So. The one thing that about this last article that I was talking about, um, this guy's really big onto like the listening project. Like, how can we tell if people are listening or not? And he's basically like, we can tell that Christian Zionists are not good at listening because they ignore three groups of people, right? Over and over and over again. One of the groups of people they ignore are non-Zionist Jewish people, which there's a lot mm. of Jewish folks around the world who are not Zionists, okay? Christian Zionists ignore them completely. Uh, another group they ignore are Christians in Palestine. Palestinians in general, I think we all know that, mm-hmm. okay? Especially Muslims. Of course, they're going to ignore Muslims, but they ignore Christian Palestinians, and they always have. Okay, the third group that they ignore are non-Zionist Christians. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's who you and I used to be. Mm-hmm. And I just think this is like a good framework. If you have friends and family members who are a part of this, they're in a cult. They're in a genocidal end times cult, and they're not going to listen to you. And it's time to do what you can to minimize the violence of those beliefs and those toxic ways of being and move on. Mm-hmm. And I would say start putting your energy into people who have a much nicer view of the world. <laughs> What's coming? Uh, queer communities, you know, people of color, like they're focused on survival and survival for all. And and that's who I want to partner with going forward. And I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done trying to talk to these groups that have shown over and over again that they do not listen. Mm-hmm. They don't listen. And if they aren't going to listen to these really important groups of people, especially during a genocide, you know, I think right. we got to let them be miserable old people who believe the end of the world is coming. Okay. I'm down. I don't know. That's just my thought. And I'm determined, you know, the best thing I can do, I think to resist Christian Zionism and just the trauma of growing up with the end times mom is to commit to live, is to live Mm. this life and to be here every day and to commit to doing less harm and to seeing everybody in the world flourish. I know that seems like really out there, but that's how I'm going to do it. Right. That's going to be my rebellion is to live and to actually envision a future that there's less war. Mm-hmm. The anti-apocalypse, as it were. Yeah. So that's kind of what I got. Yeah, I'm just so glad that you took the time to break all of this down. There are so many things here that I was sort of exposed to in some ways, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, kind of showing what was going on behind the scenes and how that's impacting now, I think is so important. I'm so glad that we we're setting this up because I'm excited for your conversations with other folks yeah. that are coming up as well. I just mm-hmm. think that this was a really good sort of primer on like, how did we get here? And how did white evangelicalism get here? And what's the root of the deeply anti-Semitic genocidal beliefs of uh, Christian Zionists? So thanks for listening, everyone. I know this is an intense one. Right. Get ready for some romance books. <laughs> you, you hit play expecting us to talk about The Good Place. And instead, whoops, we are talking about anti Semitic A dude theology. who fell off his horse and changed global politics forever. Well, welcome to 2024, y'all. Welcome to 2024. <laughs> that sums it up. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. You can always support us on Patreon. If you appreciate the work that we're doing, you can follow me at my newsletter. Healing is my special interest. And Christmas, we're on blogs. You got mm-hmm. blogs going. Yep. And you can find us on Instagram as well. Take care, y'all. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can become a Patreon supporter and get extra episodes and a long backlog discussing evangelical artifacts like Brio Magazine, the WOW Music Series, and more. Follow us on Instagram and find more information at our website, propheticimaginationstation.com. Thanks for listening.